a sacred moment for us in the church. In fact, it is the most sacred declaration that we make as followers of Jesus. That's joy right there. That's joy right there. Some were able to be there. We love to capture those moments for the, the whole community, but what a powerful uh, evening that was. It was so beautiful up to about the last like 20 minutes, and then it just downpoured. We got baptized in a big way, all of us at the place. Um, God said, you're all getting baptized tonight. So we got baptized, but it was so powerful. It's one of the most, I think, beautiful parts. I think communion's one of those sacraments. I think baptism's one of those. There's just things that represent and are symbolic that God is alive, he's well. You met Jesus and just like Jesus was buried and he went down into hell and came back up and rose to life and defeated the sting of death. 
and uh, was victorious. We just celebrate that together. They've been doing it ever since the early church and everybody would gather around believers and unbelievers and that person would say, I know where you thought I was going. I know the trajectory of my life, but I'm following that guy, Jesus, now for the rest of my life. And this is a stake in the ground of that commitment. Such a powerful decision. In fact, I have a friend who's a pastor of a church nearby about our size. He's like, I have no idea how you get people to want to be baptized. I've preached on it. We have announcements on it. We have signups on it. We have baptism classes. Nobody comes. Nobody wants to be baptized. I'm like, how do you keep people from being baptized? I don't understand. People that meet Jesus are like, I want to do what Jesus did. And Jesus was baptized. I want to be too. And when he went down, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you feel that when you come out of the water, God. I am now your child, your son, your daughter in whom you're well pleased, your beloved child. So powerful. One of the stories there is Gabriella, a refugee that came over and lived with Pat Fleer and Jason Fleer. And she came to the office the week before baptism. She shared the long version of her story. And she lost her mom and dad when she was a little and was going to refugee camps in different places, staying with different people. And she was sexually abused over and over and over and over again. Everywhere she went, finally got to one place and she was staying with a pastor and his wife and started going to their little church there. And and the night before her baptism, a time where she wanted to get baptized, the pastor came into her room and said, you can't get baptized unless I check and see whether you're a virgin. And under the guise of that, he molested her, took advantage of her. And she said, the next day when I was baptized, I felt disgusting. I felt dirty. I felt ugly. I just didn't feel. And she's like, and I'm here. And I'm like, how are you with a pastor in a church wanting to be baptized again? And she said, the work of God in my life, I want to give my life to him and I want to be baptized. And that's what that represented. So powerful. And God is changing lives. God is changing lives. And baptism has always been something that's symbolic of you're baptized into the body of Christ, almost like membership into his body to become part of the household of faith, the family of God. And we've been talking about that just for the last three weeks. It's the third installment of our series, Squad, being the team. I don't want just a bunch of members. I don't want a bunch of congregants. I don't want a bunch of laity. I don't want a bunch of attenders. I want people that feel like they're role players on the team. And we need to know as a team, what are our goals? What are our roles? And what role can you play? I grew up on teams. I love sports. And there were role players on those teams. They might not have been good at everything, but that guy was six foot two and he was huge and he could box out in the lane and he could get rebounds and just toss it back out to the guys out front. There were some that were fast. There were some that were defenders, some that could set picks, some that could shoot three pointers, some that were like could post up. Rebounders, you had role players. And in this place, not everyone's awesome. Not everybody likes the role they have. Romans 12 talks about that, but you all all matter. In fact, I looked up role player in the Bible, which is different than role playing, I found out. 
as I looked it up. A team athlete who plays mainly in specific situations, a player who isn't one of the best players on the team, but still contributes to the team in a meaningful way. Everybody here has something meaningful to offer this church. You have a role. You might be a great listener. You might be able to cry with somebody. You might be able to fix something. In fact, we need somebody to fix something because last night when the rain came down for the ninth monsoon in the last month, we had water dripping out where the air conditioning unit says, I don't know what to do up there. I'd fall through the roof. Some of you are like, I got it. We need teams of people around here to do different things to make sure this body stays healthy because when you become a part of the bride of Christ, it is the beautiful and broken bride of Christ. We're all messy and messed up here, but we offer whatever we are to the Lord and say, put me in coach and he's the coach. I want to get in the game. I don't want to be a bench warmer. I don't want to be a water boy. I want to be in the game. And you can make a contribution. Your participation, like John said last week, is so essential, so necessary, so needed. A couple weeks ago, I spoke on leadership from Paul's perspective and how important it is to a church staying on course and staying on mission. But the power of the church is actually found in the engine of its people. Power to the people, as they say. To the degree the people are encouraged, engaged, and empowered, the church will rise or fall, advance or plateau. A a passage has been lingering in some sort of liminal space in my head since I happened upon it earlier this year. Actually, my daughter, Allie, was studying Romans in her devotions and made mention of how she loved this text of scripture at the end of Romans, in Romans 16. It's the close of Paul's letter to the Romans where he lists people in the church who have given themselves to the work of Christ and then gives them each an honorable mention. I love it. He saw them as a squad of co-workers and teammates who are leaving it on the field, so to speak, and he wanted to acknowledge each role player who was driving the success of this new little church in Rome. Paul knew it took teamwork to make the dream work, so he gave credit where credit was due. And these were some of the role players and the small groups that functioned as special teams units in the church. Romans 16, if you have your Bibles, you can open up. I think a lot of people are, I don't bring my Bible because you put it on the screen. Well, our power went out for two days, and I don't know what's going to happen with the grids in the United States, but our church, don't take it from me. I can put whatever I want up on that screen, but if you got this word in your hand and I say something out of turn, I don't speak God's word, I want to make sure you go to God's word and say, that's not what God's word says, because his word is truth, not what I say. And I try to stay as close to the word as possible, but that could be off the wall and more than one way. We don't want something off the wall. We want something in the word. And you can read this. And if I say something wrong, you can come to me and say, that's not what the text says. They did that in Acts. The Berean church, after Paul would speak, would say, hey, we got to study the scriptures to see, in fact, if what Paul said, what Paul said was true. Romans 16, starting at verse 1 through 16. Pray for me as I try to read some of these names that are just off the wall. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church 
and Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in the way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me, Paul says. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They were married and became great friends with Paul. They risked their necks for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apennitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, and Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stichus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, and greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household, get this, of Narcissus. There's a narcissist in every church who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Patrobus and Hermas and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus and Junia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy smack on the cheek. And all the churches of Christ send their greetings. Can you just give me a round of applause for saying those names? Aren't you grateful you're not me? You have no idea. I studied these names more than I did the rest of the text this week. I just kept reading through them and reading through them. And some of them, they're, they're tongue twisters. Thank you for your applause, by the way, that, that I told you to give me. I remember going to Rome five years ago for our sabbatical, Heidi and I, and we took a biblical tour. Got to go to this prison, this hole in the ground where Paul and Peter were before they got beheaded in Rome. And read 2 Timothy chapter 4. The time of my departure is at hand. And I've been poured out. It's time for me to go. I remember going to the great Colosseum where Christians were made sport of. In the places where gladiators would come out and they were eaten by lions under the evil emperor Nero. Went to the catacombs where the Christians would hide, where the first ichthus was ever found and took a picture of that ichthus and that kairos, which meant Christ. And they would go there and the Romans, it was outside of Rome because no Christian could be buried in Rome. And this one guy gave them land and they thought they were just going to dig and have just burial plots. But this particular plot of land, the more they dug, the minute they dug into this particular kind of ground, it would harden instantaneously and turn to like stone. So they kept going down, 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 made airways so air could flow down and they kept burying Christians who were slaughtered and martyred for the faith and they would meet and hide there as a small church who was committed to the gospel. One day we were going down this dilapidated part of town in this one-way street in Rome, not much there, and this tour guide said, here is the first church in Rome early church in Rome. 
It was Clement's house church. Clement, you can read about him in Philippians. He was a disciple of Paul. When we went down this road, there's three historical layers to this particular site. The first layer is the current Basilica of Clement built in the 11th century of the Middle Ages, which is at ground level today that you can see. When we walked through the door, we walked in, and this is what the interior looks like inside of that basilica. It's on a street and is relatively unknown in comparison to all the great cathedrals of Rome, and there are many. No one much cares about this one because it's a one-way street in a dumpy part of town, but then it got really good. We took a flight down to the next layer of Clement's Cathedral, and what we found was the fourth century cathedral that was buried below where Catholics would gather to worship God and administer the sacraments, very conscious of the foundation laid by what they called Pope Clement. But the best was when we took another flight of stairs down to the first century home of Clement himself, probably about 30 feet underground. This was the first known house church in Rome, pastored by Clement, a disciple of Paul. This would have been the church that Paul was writing to in the portion of scripture I just read. This is where many of these people would have gathered to be the church. We made our way through the hallways leading from one room to the next. My mind was racing with what it must have been like to gather with the early believers hiding in this location, reading little parchments of scripture. We came to a doorway where we were walking onto the original herringbone floors that would have been in the days of Paul and Clement and Phoebe and Aquila and Priscilla, what they would have walked on and our guide stopped us and said, we're about to enter a very special place in Christianity. We entered the next room and it opened up into a combination of two rooms, the original living rooms of Clement, these rooms for guests. And this picture was the first one in the very place where the first house church of Rome met together. Very close by was a second open space where they would overflow as they were outgrowing Clement's house. I remember goosebumps covering my body and I imagined these first believers of Rome gathering under the threat of death because of their love for Jesus. I imagine this house being the lifeblood of conversation about the gospel as well as the fuel of encouragement that people needed to survive the threats that enveloped them every day. This was the reality of the church when the book of Romans was written, this letter sent to them. What we read in the text comes out of this context. The church met in homes and the home was the church. It's actually a, a few words used interchangeably for church in the Bible. The first is ecclesia, which means a gathering or an assembly. This is the ecclesia. We're just gathering here together. This is an assembly today. But then you can go deeper into koinonia, which is fellowship or a community of people. You start having community with people and doing life with people. But then another one that we even read in this text is oikos, which means house or family, that it moves beyond just collecting together in a gathering or sharing life and doing life, but you start to become family with each other. And Paul signs off his letter to the Roman church closing with these personal comments and encouragements. As I read through them, they seemed so fresh to me like sunken treasures in a long forgotten lagoon. I thought about people in this church and who I'd name here and describe an honor if I were to write a letter to Impact Church from far away. These were the role players 
the squad in Rome, holding that church together. They were everyday people who had jobs and families and hearts who offered up their lives as living sacrifices to be a part of the church of God that he was building in their hometown. So as we walk through the word today and we talk through the text today, I want to extrapolate the character traits of a strong church using Paul's personal closing remarks in Romans. This dream team, this Roman God squad that met in their hometown. And the reason I say sort of, you know, walk through the word and talk through the text, the last few times I've spoken, I've tried to prepare my messages in a way where we walk verse by verse through the text so that you know you don't have to be me and I don't want to put together a homily or a message up here and pontificate in such a way where you leave and say, I could never read that book or do what Jason just did. I want to speak in a way that brings the cookies down to the bottom shelf so you can read verse by verse and say, that's what the author said. This is what the recipients must have heard. How does that apply to my life? What could that mean to me? What is God saying to me today? You can do this. It's called the priesthood of believers. We don't come. I'm not the priest, the father, who has some special backstage pass to God or VIP pass. You have the same word as I do. You can talk through the text and walk through the word just like me. And God can speak to your heart by his spirit and illuminate your heart and enlighten you just like me. Gotta believe that. Romans 16 Starting in verse one, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you for she has been a benefactor of so many people, including me. We commend women as leaders in the church and ask people to receive them in the Lord in a way worthy of his people. We can't be a vibrant church with 50% of the congregation decommissioned and dry docked like old warships. We can't. We just can't. And the reason why he had to commend or recommend Phoebe and ask them to receive her in the Lord in a way that was befitting his church is because this was somewhat new to them in the decades of what they came from where men were doing everything and women were relegated to no roles or very, very lesser roles. And so when he said, she's a deaconess in the church, she's a leader in the church, she's actually a benefactor in the church, this was new to them. And he said, I am recommending and commending her, but you've got to receive her in the Lord because I'm doing a new thing. Secondly, we believe women are benefactors in ways that have been overlooked for far too long in the body of Christ. The early church broke the mold and consequently changed the world. Benefactor. I looked up that word. It's not in my vocabulary. I don't use it all the time. From the Greek word prostatus. And in the King James, it actually says secure, which is a woman set over others. That's leadership. A female guardian, a protectress, a patroness, caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with their resources. Get this, someone who says something from danger or violence. Can I just tell you the church I grew up in all the men were leading, but the women were running the church. 
They didn't have the titles. They didn't have the roles. They weren't sitting around the tables where decisions were being made. But all the sacrifice and all the spiritual leadership in the home largely was the women. They were the unsung heroes. And Paul says, I don't want them to be unsung heroes anymore. They are heroes. They're benefactors. They're so vific. They save. They protect. These women are warriors. Receive her as I commend her. I was thinking of Sarah's ordination last week and all that went into that. Trinity, her husband's here. Your whole family can stand um, as well. Sarah is here as well. We did this last night. I have a picture of the ordination. She went through so much. That was our, you know, superintendent is up there, uh, our regional superintendent, our general superintendent down here, Wayne Schmidt. And they were there being given a Bible and just being prayed over by leadership. That was so many, so many years of hard work she got her, her, her uh, degree in something else. She got her master's in something else. And about five, six years ago, she said, God, I want to pursue your word. I want to study your word. I want to go to college. I want to take classes while I'm raising a family, while I'm having a job. And I'm going to take class by class over the last five or six years until she finally got her master's. And she is in master's of divinity and leadership. And she's been ordained in our church. Now, that's, it's awesome, but sometimes people are ordained, and I'm like, they shouldn't be ordained, because they got the head smarts, but they don't have the street smarts, but in our church, we have watched her serve faithfully with power, with authority from God. She is someone that we have just, even today as she was leading, I'm like, oh God, how do you bless us with someone like that in a family like this? Trinity, thank you so much. Sarah, thank you so much. We're proud of you. We love you. We commend you. And we receive you in our church today. Yes. We do. Let's give it up for her. Verse three goes on, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. This marriage was so critical to Paul. They risked their necks for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. We believe God is calling couples to put their necks on the line for the mission of Christ together. Marriages teaming up in high stakes ministry is a game changer in the church. I want you, if you're married to someone here, to think big about this. What are you missing by one of you serving and, and co-working and, and, and risking your lives and the other one kind of being off to the side and a peripheral at best part of the movement of God? Is God calling you? Say, we got to yoke up together, get under that yoke, pull that plow and turn some ground together, baby doll or honey buns. We, we got to do this together. You can't serve over here. I'll serve. We got to do this together as a marriage. Secondly, the church met in their house. We don't believe the church is a building you go to on the weekends. It's pockets of people who saturate and serve their community on the weekdays. We are under some sort of a spell, bewitched by Satan, to believe that the church is a building. It is not a building. This is just an envelope where we meet together and, and to put it frankly, the house is just a building. The church is a people. 
It's always been a people. It's not a building. Oh, do you go to church? Did you see their new church? I switched churches. They have a brand new building. That church is amazing. What are we typically saying? I went to a place. It wasn't I encountered a people. The church is a people more than it is a place. And they met in their house. They were splitting off from Clement and they were going over here and these pockets of people knew who they were. Quit inviting people to come to church. Take the church to the world. Worship outside these walls. Don't let these walls become the prison of the church. Take the church to the world. Don't invite the world to the church. You are the church. I'm not the church. A church isn't a person. It's a people. You can't be the church in a stand hunting deer by yourself. Oh, church. I church for me is hunting. No. Church is me is bowling. And if that's you, you're really messed up. The church is a people that gathers together under the banner of the cross that worships God and goes on mission for the gospel. And it is a people. And I want to lead that. This building was great. Blood was on the floor. We laid down our lives. You know why we built this space? For more people, more church. Goes on in that one. We have been uniquely called to plant churches across the world and these churches rely on our generosity and gospel urgency. All the churches are grateful, as Paul said. You didn't just serve our church. You served all the Gentile churches. From the beginning in 2003, we have committed to give 10% of all the tithes and offerings that come into this church to church planting, to plant other churches. The ministry is called Greenhouse, a church planting network. And if this is new to you, This is great. You got to know this is the heartbeat of our church. We were a church to plant churches that plant churches, to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's about multiplication around here. Impact has planted 46 churches since its inception in 2003, with 12 of those churches being in Swaziland, Africa. That's why we want to take care of them over there. God's moving over there. People are being reached over there. That girl that was making mention of being the shepherd of that place. She was a little girl that was fed at the care point that we took care of, that was raised up in leadership. And now she's like, she's the one carrying the the weight and and serving the kids because she's a leader. We're a part of that. We give 10%. Actually, in Outreach Magazine, we're the fifth fastest multiplying church in America. I don't say that to just pat our backs. I just need you to know who you are. Like in all of America. And they, we give 10% of our tithes and offerings to advance the church multiplication across the world. Like Priscilla and Aquila, we want to risk our lives, put our necks out there for all the churches, not just our church. You want to be something bigger than you are? Want to be something bigger than we are? And let Lowell is? This is how we're bigger than this place. We're not about the church. We're about the kingdom. We're not about denominations. We're about the kingdom. All the nations. Verse five, greet my dear friend 
Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Isn't it awesome that Paul remembered in this huge province of Asia, the first one who accepted Christ as his savior, gave his life, crossed the line, was baptized, and became a part of the church. I got to thinking about this first convert thing. We long for new conversion growth around here, not just church transfer growth. Our church exists to make disciples of the nations, not to take disciples from other denominations. See, our church could grow and all the other churches decline, and all we did is take all the guppies from that aquarium and move the guppies over to this aquarium. We're not here to poach people from other churches. We want all the churches to grow in our community and the area. And the only way for that to happen is to make new converts, not glory and revel in the fact that our church is growing because of church transfers. Now we love if you came from another place, but I don't want you to come to this place because we tickle your fancy or we in some way satisfy or satiate your personal preferences. You need to become a part of this place to be on mission with a barbaric spirit to band together with others who are chasing something huge for the kingdom. And if that's the reason you moved because you were stagnant and felt lukewarm and something, you needed a fire lit under you, we are not here for you to sit soaking sour. We want you to grow, but we want you, if you're gonna come here, to care about conversions. We want new people to come to Christ. Goes on, says Mary, verse six, who worked very hard for you. Very appropriate on Labor Day. She labored for you. She did the hard stuff. We long to be a church that promotes an ethic of participation where everyone shows up and works very hard on behalf of each other for the sake of the world. The reason our church, and it's coming up on our 19-year anniversary on October 11th, the reason why our church has grown and been a vivacious, vibrant church all these years is people, everyday people like you and me that are just working hard around here. And I'm just so grateful for that. Like the people that get the credit, I think Paul here is trying to dish out where the credit's supposed to be. Everybody's like, Paul's great. He planted this church. Man, Paul, he's really a great guy. What a maverick. He's out there. Have you met Paul? Have you met Paul? And there's this, you got to meet Paul. You got to meet Apollos. You got to meet Silas. These guys are killing that out there. He's like, no, man, it's real people like Mary who are working so hard for you in the shadows. That's how the church advances. Verse seven, greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They didn't ditch me in my time of need. They're like, we're going with you. Lock me up in those shackles with you. I'm gonna be in it with you. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I even was. We want more than anything to be in it with people. I'm convinced this singular distinctive makes a church outstanding in a status quo, religious society in general, but just society in general, to be in it with somebody, to stay with somebody when it gets hard. I'm gonna be in prison with you. I'm gonna be in your divorce and go through that with you. 
I'm going to mourn the death of that person. And I'm not just going to go on for the, with the rest of my life. I'm going to keep circling back. I'm going to say, how's that grief going? How's mourning going? Where are the aches and pains in your life? I want to be in it with you. That makes a church outstanding. Because I'll be honest with you, the church is so superficial and shallow. We come in, we kind of graze each other. We rub shoulders. It's a sort of cursory experience and we move on. And he said, man, if you are in it with people, sitting with people in dark moments like they were man that's outstanding stuff right there do you want to stand out there's no way to be outstanding unless you're going to stand out you are not in our church to fit in you are here to stand out don't blend into the scenery stand out that's how you're outstanding you want to make a difference be different you can't be the same as everyone and make a difference Man, I like that. That was, that was good. I like that part. I didn't share that last night, but I really wish I would have. Man, we want to highly esteem and hold in high esteem those who are older in the faith than we are. In a world that worships the new, we want to honor the old. You see what Paul said at the end? They were in Christ before I was. You know, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Do you know people went before you? Do you know that we stand on the shoulders of the good graces of generations who have gone before us to pass the baton to us and to honor the people who have gone before us that knew before us and were faithful? We want to honor the old, not just worship the new. We care about first converts, yeah, but we care about old converts too and we need you around this place. We value you, we honor you. Greet them and ply us, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-workers in Christ, and my dear friend. This one, I don't even know if I'm staying it right. It could be staches or steakies or stakes. I don't know. I like staches today. We want to foster and the dear friend in the Lord, Urbanus, co-worker, this, this relationship, we want to foster settings that encourage Christians to have dear friends instead of shallow fellowship. Most people need deeper friendships, not more friendships. They need dear friends, not more friends. And we're being sold a lie in our culture. It's just more friends and it's dopamine hits and we're into novelty, novelty, more friends, different friends. Ooh, those are the cool friends. That's the shiny friend group. That's the newest friend group. Forget about it. Find dear friends and lock in with them and say, I'm with you. You're dear to me. You could live your whole life and never have a dear friend and just have a lot of good, nice Christian fellowship. I grew up in a church. We had a fellowship hall. We'd have dinners there. My mom and dad, and I'm not proud to admit this, and I told them this, they never had a dear friend their whole life. They fellowshiped. They gave their lives to people. They helped people. But nobody knew my mom and nobody knew my dad in the deepest parts because all they had was traditional fellowship in the church. And it can be shallow. Any Christians here know what I'm talking about? You can get together every week at church and nobody knows you and you don't know them. We need dear friends. But you've got to make a choice for that. We've noticed that God sent people out in the world two by two throughout the Bible. Working alone doesn't work for long. You must find a coworker in Christ. These were my coworkers in Christ. 
Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He sent the 72 out two by two. He sent Elijah and Elisha out. He sent Moses and his brother Aaron out. So many people were sent out two by two. What are we doing? You got to yoke up with somebody and say, let's do this together. Because you aren't going to work very long if you don't find a coworker to do it with you. Romans 16, verse 10, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus and greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. We long to be a faith community marked by fidelity and suffering. Saints who are tested by all that hell has to throw at them and they remain steadfast, battle tested and battle ready. The person and the people that come to mind are like a Sherry and a Greg. She's here again. She was here last night. She's praying with the prayer team in both the services. They lost two sons since I've been here. Nathan was killed in a car accident way back when, was part of our worship team. What a devastating blow to our church and to their family. And then recently she just posted about Micah and his birthday, I believe, and just honoring him and remembering him losing two sons. And she and Greg have remained faithful through the suffering, Semper Fidelis, to the end, committed to the Lord to make it through stuff. Joe and Carrie losing their son when we just opened this building, going through so much. You still show up, you're at the door. Santa Claus, Big Joe greeting you. So much loss, so much devastation. I could go around this room. You gotta honor the people who stood the test with fidelity. It matters. It deserves an honorable mention goes on, we believe to care about a person's heart is care about their household. Don't get used to viewing people as separate singular objects around this church. Who, where, and how is their family? I love to greet them and greet their household and greet the household. I love their kids. I love their wife. I love their husband. I love their extended family. You got to be dear friends. And once you're dear friends, you got to care about everybody in their life, not just them. I got an accountability partner. We meet at Big B at 630 every week and we talk about, you know, our lives. But what about their wives? What about their families? Are you digging in? Do you know their birthdays? Do you know what's special? Do you know what they've gone through? Do you care about their household? The church has not been good at this. You do not divide and conquer. You unite and conquer in the church. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, great names. And if they would have had one more kid, it would have been Trifecta. (laughs) I had to do that to summon the spirit of my dad. That was such a dad joke, but Chuck would have loved that. And he would have laughed much harder than you did. Those women who worked hard in the Lord, my dear friend, Persis, another woman who's worked hard in the Lord. Paul had a dear friend who was a woman. And I don't necessarily promote that because I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I don't have any dear friends who are women. I have a lot of friends who are women. But I I think there's something in his heart that he just knew these women. He mentions it again. We wholeheartedly commit to empowering and encouraging women who sacrifice their lives for the cause of Christ and his church. We believe in our women's ministry and our men's ministry. Sorry, Dan. But these women, he was like, they're just killing it. They're 
killing it. And it's not just, it's not just Phoebe, it's other women. It's Mary and those other women, another woman. We need another woman and another woman. 16 verse 13, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother who's been a mother to me too. How many of you need a spiritual mom? How many of you need a spiritual dad? You're you're essentially an orphan, you're fatherless. Either because you have a distant dad or you lost your dad or your dad just doesn't connect to your heart or abandoned you a long time ago. Let me tell you something, you get in the church, you can find a mom or a dad. And you can find a brother and a sister. Because they go on. It says all these guys, I don't even want to say their names and the other brothers and sisters with them. We see ourselves as mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to each other around here. It takes more than a village. It takes a family. The church must become a family. You'll notice some of you come and I'm, I don't call anybody sister something. That's just really weird. But I am like, hey, brother, what's up, brother? I love that. But there's just something familial about this church, this experience and Paul and all his writings and he was so hardcore as it related to doctrine and, and trying to like make sure the church was being the church that God died for. And he could be harsh at times and could say some hard words, but this guy personally loved people. Can you feel it in here? The church didn't thrive because he put together a great master plan and, and was a great teacher, master class teacher. He you know, thrived because every church he was at, he honored these people. He was close to these people. They were family to him. Even Jesus set the precedent in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother, that was Mary, she's a pretty big deal, right? And brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, hey, yo, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here's my mother and my brothers, which means there had to be some women that were disciples around him he was appointing to. And there were. Women would follow him. The women were the ones that supported them financially. And it was three women at the cross with one dude. Back to women. He's like, here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He was starting in the church to set the precedent of a spiritual family, a household of faith, the family of God. This is our faith family. Last verse, greet one another with a holy kiss. Wouldn't you love that around here? We would not be growing as a church if we actually did that, but... In the Middle East, they just kind of would go up to somebody. Trinity, get up here. I just want to, you know, give, I want to give you a holy kiss. I know you're cool. Come on up. No, for real. No, come on. I didn't do this last night, but I, I just got to do a holy kiss. It's just, I just am feeling it. I'm feeling it. You are my brother. And, and here's how we would greet. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Oh, you're putting your thing up. My brother. Mwah, mwah. Here, do this with me. You got to go back and forth. Here we go. Ah, oh, mama, mama, mia. Yes, I, ah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What's up? Yeah. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Everyone else is here like, oh, I'm so glad he didn't ask me to do that. That's what it was. That's a holy kiss. But around 
here and in our culture, we give holy handshakes, holy hugs, holy high fives. We don't want to be known as a church with a big meeting without any greeting. A mature church is teeming with hospitable hearts, all of you, always looking around to make sure people feel a warm welcome. We cannot just have people greeting each other that are two people with lanyards at the doors and two people here. If you've been here for more than one week, I now commission you and commend you as a greeter in our church. You're a part of the family. Come on in. Start looking around. Look people in the eye. Hey, welcome. It's going to be a great day. I don't know if it's going to be a great sermon, but it's going to be a great day. Hey, come on in. It's really great. It's great to have you here. Where are you from? How long have you been coming here? Well, that's pretty cool. How long have you been in Lowell? How long have you been in the area? That's amazing. Good to have you. Do you know how much of a difference that makes? Do you know how rare this is in a church? Particularly after COVID where we're all like these isolated like cyborgs walking around each other, not knowing what to do with other humans. We need to bring back our humanity and part of that's lift your head, look at people, smile at them, greet them, warmly welcome them, shake their hand, give them a high five with me. I give a good game right on the tush sometimes to brothers that I really love around here. We give each other and greet each other with a good game around here. I'll end with this. Larry Crabb, psychologist, could not agree more. I found this in a book I was reading. He said, the future of the church depends on whether it develops true community. We can get by for a while on size and skilled communication and programs to meet every need, but unless we sense that we belong to each other with masks off, the vibrant church of today will become the powerless church of tomorrow. Stale, irreverent, a place of pretense where sufferers suffer alone, where pressure generates conformity rather than the spirit creating life. That's where the church is headed unless it focuses on community. And all of Romans 16 at the end is just saying community matters. He might as well have been writing the lyrics, come together right now over me. That was what he was writing about right here. And so God, today, we want to come together. We want to care about each other. We want to know names. We want to know the roles that we have. If we're not in a role, we can all be greeters here today. That's the first step, to turn to people, to smile, to welcome. God, do something holy in our midst so much profane things, so many common things, so many things where we're just like the world. The only reason we could stand out or be outstanding is if we follow you in this ethos, this culture. So God, help us to get this in our bones. Help us to be this kind of squad, this kind of team around here and to stack hands on this kind of culture that we're trying to create here where everybody matters and the role they play matters whether it looks big or small it's all significant help us to be and to become this church and that this church would then sprawl out into this community outside these walls unchained unfettered and hitting the streets with such a radiant joy and such a heart of grace and generosity. May we be Jesus' hands and feet, feet, hearts and hug and smile this week in the world that desperately needs to see hope. Send us out, Lord, today. Commission us 
into the mission field of our sphere of influence, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. We have a prayer team up here if you're interested in being prayed for.